Welcome to the Redemptions Hill Sermon Podcast. For more information, feel free to visit our website, redemptionshill.com. Good morning. You guys hear me okay? There's like six of us here. You guys are going to have to like... I was thinking that as we were sitting here this morning, I was like, we should like pull like an NFL and like pump some crowd noise into here this morning. Really get me get me rolling. So, hey, good morning. Uh, it's It's really good to be with you guys this morning. Um, I appreciate those of you that are here, you know, in person with us and kind of brave the elements and uh, appreciate those who, who are at home. Um, my name is Garrett Richards. I'm an elder here uh, at Redemption's Hill, and I'm excited to bring you the word this morning. Uh, and, and I feel like it's important probably for us to start uh, by uh, spending some time this morning rebuking the weather uh, just, just how awful it is, right? Commiserating on that. My wife told me this morning that it was warmer in Fairbanks, Alaska this morning than it was here, which is just kind of silly. Um, we're from Boonville. We live in Boonville, which is about 20 minutes from Columbia, and it's kind of a different community than Columbia. So especially with COVID uh, masks, I've had people joke, like people from Columbia that come to Boonville, they're like, masks are just kind of like, they don't really... COVID doesn't exist in Boonville, huh? People don't really wear a mask. But I will tell you, uh, after going to Walmart yesterday, that if you want to get the people of Boonville to wear masks, just order up a polar vortex, and everybody's got their mask on all the time. So uh, it's, uh, it's working right now. So, uh, so welcome. Uh, I'm excited to dive in this morning, and, and we're going to be kind of finishing up our final sermon in our Vital Christianity series. This will be the sixth message uh, in this series, uh, and really our hope, um, not just TJ's, but our hope as we've talked through this, Blake and, and I and TJ, our hope has been that this series has, has brought some life to us, right? Uh, the definition of the word vital is, is essential, it's important, it's full of energy, it kind of relays this kind of vibrancy um, that I think many of us Need and, and whether we know it or not, in, in our actions and in, in our, our longings, I think we're crying out for that, right? for this vital faith, uh, especially coming out of a year like we did a year out of 2020 and, and still really stuck in the middle of it and in the middle of winter on a day like today, right? More than ever, we uh, need new life. We've been praying. As a, as a congregation, as a people, we've been praying and seeking this new life or, or renewal. Uh, a renewal is a word that we've used a lot, sort of this vibrant new depth to our faith. So I hope that you felt that um, through, through this series, uh, and, and hopefully we're going to continue that with kind of where the Lord is leading us. So just to do a quick recap, because it's been a few weeks now. Uh, and I'm not going to re-preach through all, all TJ's messages, so I just want to give you a real quick recap of the five previous messages in our series. And we're going to just boil them down to five bullet points, right? Vital Christianity is wholehearted. It bears fruit. Vital Christianity practices true repentance. We heard that Vital Christianity, we saw through the word that vital Christianity practices resolute obedience. And a vital faith, a vital Christianity is one that fears the Lord. Okay, so the last time we were together, 
Pastor TJ walked us through the word and shows us that we are to fear the Lord, right? And, he, and, and TJ pointed out that this fear of the Lord looks a lot like having humility before God. That's something that, that, that TJ led us through, and that really jumped out to me, the idea of, of being humble and having humility before God. For Some that are here have been in, in various MCs with me over the years, and, and you've heard me, as we've talked about humility, I've referred kind of uh, just tons of times about a Tim Keller book that I read years ago called The Freedom of Self-Forgetfulness. And that, that book really made an impact on me. But in there, Keller says, when he's talking about humility, he's talking about gospel humility, Keller says that humility, gospel humility, isn't thinking less of yourself, but it's thinking of yourself less, right? That's something that's always impacted me. It's not thinking that you're, you know, terrible, and yes, we talk about sin, but it's just, you don't even think about yourself as much. It's God first, right? That's the idea uh, that, that Keller is trying to get across of, of what gospel humility looks like. It's God first, or, or, or better yet, maybe just God alone. What, what would he have of me? What does he want of me? So with that still in our minds, this week, what we're going to do is we're going to try to package up and really land this series by looking in the book of Deuteronomy. Um, so if you have Bibles or if you're turning there, uh, go ahead and turn to the book of Deuteronomy. We're going to be in chapter 6, reading verses 1 through 9. And, and my hope and goal today is to kind of package together, maybe simplify this morning, maybe simplify the list that you have made during this series, right? I think a lot of us are list people. So we've had five, right? You just gave me five bullet points, so I got to repent, and I got to obey, and I got to do these things, right? What I'm hoping to do is, uh, if you're sitting there thinking like, oh, great, now there's like a sixth thing that I have to keep track of, or, or, or another box that I have to check, that's not what I'm hoping to do today. My hope is that we can leave here with a more just holistic view of what vital Christianity looks like. We're going to try to simplify it. So if you will turn to Deuteronomy chapter 6, and before we read, I just want to pray again for us. God, we just come before you now, and we need you. Lord, we need for you to speak. We need for you to lead. We need to hear your voice. We need to feel your spirit what you would have for us, God. So would, would you lead and we'll follow? Would you, would you help man? Would you help me to get out of the way? God, and would you just be very real and tangible in your presence in this place and in the homes this morning, God, that we would look to your word and we would hear what you have for us, God. God, would we want and would we seek, would we act to have a vital faith, a new life, a new depth, a renewal in our walk with you, God. That's what we need, what we desire. So, Lord, we praise you. We glorify your name. Amen. Amen. So, Deuteronomy 6, verses 1 through 9. We'll read all of it, and then we'll um, kind of do like we do. We'll, we'll go back through. So, it's on the screens if you need to follow along. But starting with verse 1, it says, Now this is the commandment, the statutes and the rules. That the Lord your God commanded me to teach you that you may do them in the land to which you are going over 
to possess it, that you may fear the Lord your God, you and your son and your son's son, by keeping all his statutes and his commandments, which I command you, all the days of your life, and that your days may be long. Verse 3, Hear therefore, O Israel, and be careful to do them, that it may go well with you, and that you may multiply greatly, as the Lord, the God of your fathers, has promised you in a land flowing with milk and honey. Verse 4, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all of your heart, and with all your soul, and with all your strength or might. And these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children, and shall talk of them when you sit in your house, and when you walk by the way. And when you lie down, and when you rise, you shall bind them as a sign on your hand, and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. So this is Moses speaking here. This is sort of, this portion of scripture is sort of a centerpiece of the last speech that Moses gave to the Israelites, right? So the people of Israel are hearing Moses. He's, he's commanding and giving these instructions. And, and this is a people that's not really too far removed from bondage. We're not too far from Egypt and, 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 and bondage. And this is Moses giving this speech to him. And I, I think it's really important to point out right up front okay, that this instruction that Moses is giving to the people of Israel, these commands that he is giving them, come to the people after the promise. Okay, I want to I start and keep that in front of us. God promised the people of Israel that they would go to a land. He promised them a land of milk and honey. And that promise is not dependent on how well they are able to follow these commands. It is not dependent. God is not dependent. His promises are not dependent on their obedience. Verse 1 says that you may do them. This is the commandments that he's going to give, the commands. In the land you are going to. He says you're going to possess it. God promised it to you. He gave it to you. So God's promise is not dependent. They don't get the land if they do these things. They're going to the land. But Israel is instructed to be careful to do these things, to follow these commands, to keep these things in front of them so that things may go well with them. They have the promise. They're going to the land, right? But Moses says, do these things so that things will go well for you in the land, so that you will prosper and be well. And so you'll have many days in the land. So I think it's very important that we keep that hope in front of us this morning. I don't want to lose that as we, as we dig into the commands and the instruction that Moses had for the people of Israel and the instruction that God would have for us this morning. Now when we get to verse 4, this portion of scripture is known as the Shema. Okay, It's a Hebrew word and this really became a central prayer 
to the people of Israel, to the Jews, when they went into the promised land, right, this portion of scripture would be a prayer, central prayer to their faith. They would say twice a day, right? And the word Shema, literally, it translates to hear, okay? That's why we say hear this. This is important. Moses says, hear what I'm saying to you. But we need to understand that hearing isn't enough, right? We've all, as kids, we probably heard that conversation from parents and teachers. And if you have children, you have definitely said it, right? Do you hear me? Are you listening, right? You say, look at me when I'm talking to you so that I can confirm that you are listening to what I'm saying. And what do we expect when we do that, right? I want to make sure that my kids are listening because there's going to be some action that takes place. There, there's, I'm expecting some obedience, right? It's not just hearing, but it's listening, this active listening, which also means there's going to be action or obedience. So it's really two sides of the same coin. So that is what Moses is telling them. Hey, listen to the, hear this, listen. But that means there needs to be some obedience if we're truly going to do that. Right? And we've already talked about why they need to listen so that things will go well for them. But what is so important that Israel needs to hear to listen, to obey. And this is kind of where we're going to set up shop today. And that's in verse 5. Verse 5 says, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all of your strength or your might. I want to read that again. You shall love the Lord your God with all of your heart, and with all of your soul, and with all of your strength. Love the Lord your God. Now, besides being in a polar vortex this morning, today's Valentine's Day, right? Which I would argue, or, or I think most of us would agree that Valentine's Day is probably like the worst holiday just me? Just me? No. Good. It, it's not a great holiday, right? It, it can be a really hard season. So for, for someone who is maybe single and maybe they don't want to be single, this can be a really hard season, a really hard holiday. But I'll tell you that if you're dating or if you're married, it's probably equally as awful. It's just not a great holiday. In 2019, Americans just Americans, spent $20 billion on Valentine's Day gifts. Billion. 2019. In 2019, Americans gave 145 million Hallmark cards. Those are, that's not even like the cheapos like me that go to Walmart, right? These are Hallmark cards that gave 145 million. Americans spent $715 million on Valentine's Day gifts for their pets in 2019, right? It's, we laugh because it sounds crazy, right? But we do this, Americans, we do this 
trying to communicate right, our love or our affection or a fondness for someone. Right? That's what Valentine's Day is about. That's the kind of love that we're trying to communicate. But the love that we are speaking about this morning, the love that we talk about in the Bible here, though there are several different types of love found there, and we've, we've over the years we've talked a lot about those the love that Moses is instructing, that we would later hear Jesus instruct as he quotes or, or, or refers to this command, is the word ahava, which is a love of action. It's a love of wills. It's not simply like an emotion or an affection or a fondness, right, that we try to communicate during Valentine's Day, but this is a choice. This is a love of action taken every day, every moment. It's a decision. It's a love of will. We see in Deuteronomy, later in Deuteronomy chapter 10, verses 12 and 13 says, And now, Israel, what does the Lord your God require of you but to fear the Lord your God, to walk in his ways, to love him, to serve the Lord your God with all of your heart with all of your soul, and to keep the commandments and the statues of the Lord, which I am commanding you today for your good. This is the love that Moses is telling the people of Israel, this ahava, right? This love for God in action. Deuteronomy 10, we see that love in action in fearing, in walking, in serving, in keeping. Those are action items that show that we love God. So that is what we are commanded to do, to love God. And we do this as God's image bearers. So in the creation story, we were created, man was created in God's image to imitate him, to reflect his character and who he is. So when we are instructed to ahava God, to have this this love in action, for God, we are really imitating God's ahava for us. We're reflecting the love that he had for us. 1 John 4.19 says we love because he first loved us. If you know anything about God, if you know anything about his love, his ahava, it's a love of action, right? It was displayed Choices, his will, not just a fondness, but a love of action. That's how we're to love God. Back to Deuteronomy 6. You shall love the Lord your God. It's love of action, right? Love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, and with all of your strength. So let's start by how we love God with our heart. The first area, how do we love God with our heart? How do we have this love? How do we act in ways that show our love from our heart? So to the Israelites, the heart wasn't, it wasn't just a body part. They had a broader understanding of the heart. They thought really of the heart as the organ that gives physical life 
in a place where you think, where you make sense of the world, where you feel emotions, where you have affections, and where you make choices. That's what loving God with your heart would have meant to the Israelites. Heart really is the center of their being, right? It's everything that kind of makes them up. Proverbs 4.23 says, Keep your heart with all vigilance, for from it flow the springs of life. God's people are being called every day to devote to God their whole body and mind, their whole being. That's what this means, their heart, their feelings, their desires, their future, and their failures. We are called to love God with the center, all of those things. Now, the second way we're to love God, love God with all of your heart and with all of your Soul. The Hebrew word for soul here uh, is called nephesh. And it's, this word is mentioned over 700 times in the Old Testament, but it's not really what we think of when we think of soul, right? When we say soul, we think of kind of this transparent, like Casper version of ourselves, right? It looks like me, but it's just kind of this floating that's what we think of, this, this transparent version of our physical body. But that's not really a great understanding and, and really not what was intended here. So really, uh, a more direct translation of nephesh is throat, right? But really, it's the whole physical being. When you look at how that word is used all of these times in the Bible, it's the entire life and body your entire physical being. So the command that Moses is giving is to, vote, to devote our whole physical existence to our creator. Our entire being, right, with all of its capabilities and its limitations, in an effort to love God and love our neighbor as ourselves, we are to devote Devote all of those things to God. That is how we love him with all of our soul. So we are to love God with all of our heart, all of our soul, and all of our strength. All of our strength or might. Now, again, words kind of fail us here. When the word says we are to love God with all of our strength, it's not really what we are thinking about with our strength. But instead, it's really a word of emphasis. It just kind of pumps some emphasis into what we have already read. So it's a word of emphasis like very or much. And you apply that to what we've already seen to love God with all of our heart, right? Which is the center of our being and what makes us up and our affection and our thoughts. And all of our soul, which is our physical body, everything that has to offer. So this word of emphasis is really saying, love the Lord with all of it, with everything 
that you have, everything that you can think of. So when it says love the Lord with all of your strength, it's this wide, sort of expansive word or command. It can mean almost anything. Devoting every possibility, every moment, every opportunity, every capability that we have is devoting those to love God and love your neighbor. So what this scripture is telling us, what verse 5 is telling us, it's it's up to this point of saying, listen to this, right? Hear, O Israel, listen to this. Look at me when I'm talking to you, right? I want to make sure you're getting this. I need for you to obey this, that we are to love in action, love God with every fiber of your being. Simply going through the motions in your life and in your worship is not enough, right? It's like giving that Hallmark card to your spouse or your significant other when you've been a jerk the whole rest of you, right? It doesn't really convey anything. It's not enough. We must truly love in action. Our action shows our love. We must truly love God and devote our whole life, heart, soul, strength to him. All of it. Now, for some of us and possibly many of us, when you really, if you really hear that, this sounds like a truly radical idea. Sounds like a lot, right? Maybe you're thinking like, Garrett, I thought you said you were going to try to simplify this. I thought this was going to make it easier. Now instead of like five or six bullet points and things to keep track of, you're telling me it's everything, I have everything, and I would say to that, yes. Yes. And as I thought about it, as I studied, I, I really think that's easier. It's easier to wrap our mind around, it's easier to keep track of because it's no longer a question of, well, what things do I need to take to God? What parts of my life do I need to seek him in? Like, where should I be including God to speak into and direct my life? That's no longer the question. It's everything. It's all of it. You don't have to ask, like, which things. It's all of it. So we really need to stop asking or thinking, how can we fit more of God into our lives? I'm preaching to myself, right? How do I fit more of God into my life? And I need to start thinking about how can I fit my life more around God, right? Remember, gospel humility, less of yourself. It's God first. How do I do that? How do I put God first in every part of my life? So as we talk about this, I recognize that there's likely... Not a single person here in this room or listening at home who can confidently say that, that you've been able to do this, that you've mastered this. Right? And honestly, for some of us, maybe you haven't even, has the thoughts never even crossed your mind, never even thought of attempting it. Right? And I, th- I think the reason for that, why many of us fail at it or why we maybe not even thought about it, is that we like to kind of compartmentalize our lives. And we live our lives in, in fragments or, 
or segments, right? I read a book last year about how, don't laugh at me, it's called like men are waffles, women are spaghetti, right? Does an accurate job of calling me a waffle because it says I like to put things in boxes, right? I go to this box when I want there, I, I retreat to this box for that. But I think we often do that with our faith. We give fragments of our life, segments, the boxes that we want, that we're comfortable giving to him, that's what we give to God. So we keep him out of the other areas. In my MC, uh, we have often talked about and kind of a lot of us have shared our struggles, how we struggle to maintain what we call the the proper like work-life balance, right? It seems like a lot of us struggle to keep our careers and our studies or whatever it is from kind of bleeding into the other areas of our life and our homes. It's a challenge for a lot of us. But why don't we struggle to do that with our faith? Right? Why is it so hard for me to leave work at the door when I come home, but it's not hard for me to leave my faith at the door when I walk out of here? Why doesn't our faith so easily bleed into the other areas of our life instead of working the opposite way? My, um, my dad, when I was a teenager, my dad bought this old boat. We were like so pumped that my dad had this boat. We love fishing as a family, and so I was so excited. And I remember the first trip we took the boat out. We were going to go down to the lake, and it was my family, and we were super excited. And uh, that's the exciting thing about fishing is like you're always like great possibilities out there. I'm always going to catch like a world record fish, right, every time I go. I truly think that. So I had that in front of me, so I'm pumped. We're going to go spend a day on the lake. We're going to fish, and we got it down there. And we put the boat in the water, and it wouldn't start. Wouldn't start. And I remember I, we sat there for a long time, right? And there's only so many things you, you just keep turning the key, right, until you run the battery dead. The boat didn't start. So what ended up happening is it had a little trolling motor on it. So while we had this plan of going out, we're going to catch fish, we ended up like going out like 50 yards from the dock, setting and fishing for like an hour, and we were all mad, and then we put it back on the trailer, and we went home. Terrible, terrible trip. Right? So a few weeks later, we're going fishing. Right? My dad says, hey, we're going to go to the lake. So again, I'm jacked up. I'm excited, thinking of all the, all the great times we're going to have, all the fish I'm going to catch out there. And we get, on, we get the, the boat in the water, and it won't start. It doesn't start. Won't start. Same problem. I said, well, Dad, did you fix it? Well, no. Well, what would you do? Well, nothing. Right? It's crazy. It's, it's funny. I'd say it's funny because it was my dad, but I'm like that too, so I'd probably do the same thing. Like, just hoping and wishing, like, hoping... Hopes and prayers that the boat's going to start. Um, it, it's crazy to think about, right? That you would do no work on it, but that somehow it's magically going to be fixed. Things are going to be better. But isn't, silly as that is, isn't that how we, we treat our faith a lot of times? Why is it? Honest question question to myself I've been wrestling with for, for the last two weeks. Why is it that we will give huge amounts of time 
and effort and work, mental real estate, right, to our jobs, to hobbies, to sports teams, to crafts, to your stock purchase, your kids' activities. Insert your idol here, right? Why is it that we will do that, yet we will give little to nothing to our faith and expect a huge payoff? It's like putting the, the boat in the garage, taking it out a couple weeks later, and hoping it's fixed. Right? We, we do that. And the kind of life that, that we truly desire is not going to be found that way. It won't. The life that God wants for us will not be found that way. Long days in the land of milk and honey are not found that way, and beauty and vitality are not, they're just not going to be found that way. Deuteronomy says God has something to say about every aspect of our life and every decision that a human being can make. No segments, no boxes. God wants to be a part of all of it, of everything. Let's keep reading verse 6. Really read along with me as we go through these. And these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children and shall talk of them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way and when you lie down And when you rise, you shall bind them as a sign on your hand, and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. Now, it's a small group, and one of the the weird things about being part of Redemption's Hill is I'm typically one of the older ones here. (laughs) Uh, But show of hands. How many people had a WWJD bracelet? All right. Cool. Not feeling quite as old as I anticipated. So so you guys remember those, right? And for those of you that don't know, it was this awesome bracelet that you wore, and it said WWJD. It stood for what would Jesus do, right? And the way it worked is when you were getting ready to smack your brother or cheat on your math test or something like that, you would look at your bracelet and then the Holy Spirit would start to convict you and you repented in your heart and you did the right thing. Mine didn't work that way. Mine was broken, right? But that's what it was, what they were. Now before TJ gets too worried, I'm not suggesting that you I'm going to suggest you go get a WWJD bracelet. But the scripture says, right, these words that I just commanded you, the greatest commandment, to love the Lord with all your heart and soul and strength, which is every part of your existence. These are so important for you to have vitality in your faith, for you to prosper in the land. This says that you must not should. The word isn't should, right? It doesn't say, uh, it, it doesn't say like, you should probably teach them diligently to your children. 
you should probably think about talking about them in your home. It says you shall, you must teach them diligently. That word means it's going to be a fight, right? And you persevere and you do the hard work. You teach them diligently to your children and future generations. You talk about them in your home. You talk about them when you're outside your home. When you lie down, when you go to bed, God is there. When you rise, God is there. You bind them as a sign on your hand and you write them on the doorposts of your house. Could you imagine what a life like this would look like? Right? We talked about how we, we segment and we, fra- we have these fragments of our lives and this, this area is here and that's there. This is a life without that. Right? There's no segments. There's no boxes. There's no fragments. God's a part of all of it. And you allow him to speak and to lead into all of those things. But a life like this doesn't happen on accident. Again, you can't park the boat in the garage and expect for it to come out fixed. It doesn't happen on accident. It takes loving God with our action. It takes intentionality. It takes diligent work. Now, when I was a a tween rocking that WWJD bracelet, there was a skit um, that I remember seeing in in church. Uh, And and here's kind of a breakdown. Here's how it goes. I'm living my life, and Jesus is right here beside me. He's following me, and me and Jesus are cool, and and he's with me in all the areas of my life. But I want to go through this door over here. There's something that I want to do on the other side of this door, but I don't want to go with me. So I try to go through the door, and Jesus is right beside me. And I'm like, no, no, Jesus, you, this is, you don't need to go in here with me. I want to go in. And, and Jesus is with me all the time, and he wants to follow me. And so, so what ends up happening is I take Jesus, and, I, and I, I take his hands, right, and I nail his hands in the cross and in his feet and put him on the cross. So he'd be right where I wanted him to be. And I could go through that door and I could live my life and do what I needed to over there. And I'd come back to him if I needed him. I knew right where he was, right? Now, I, I don't want to get into like the theological accuracy of that skit, but I will tell you that it, it stuck with me. It stuck with me all these years. And, and it came back to my mind when I was reading through this text because I think as sinners, which we all are, a lot of us, we want to come to God on our terms when we need him, when it's convenient for us, or when life is hard and and we're out of options and we need someone to run to, right? We know right where he is. I know where I left him, so I'm going to go right there. But vital Christianity, the kind of faith, the kind of life, the kind of joy and peace and hope that we've been talking about through this series has to be, vital Christianity has to be deeper than that. You're not going to find those things living life that way. We are called to seek the Lord in all things. And so that means that God has something to say about all of it. Our big life decisions, should I get a new job? Should I take this job? Should we move cities? 
who we date, who we marry. But he also has something to say about the smaller, seemingly mundane decisions, like what our calendar looks like, how we spend our free time, how we spend our money, our diet, our Netflix queue, our participation in the local church, how we navigate with our families, keeping everyone safe in a global pandemic. God needs to and wants to speak in and direct us in all of those areas and everything else we can think of. We are to love God with all of our heart and our strength, heart, soul, and strength. So as I, as I start to wrap this up, and, and Allie and, and Jason, you guys can come back. As I try to wrap this up, I really wanted to think of like easy, practical steps to get us started. Because I think deep down, we still want that, right? We still want steps. Give me a list so that I can make sure I don't miss anything. That's why I think and I hope that we can see this message as being simpler, right? It's everything It's every morning that we wake up. It's every family dinner. It's every MC that we choose to participate in. It's every conversation at the water cooler, at work, or over coffee in the break room. It's every commute home from work. It's every family vacation that we take. It's every conversation that you have with your neighbor We need him, and he wants to speak into every area of our lives. So here's what I think is the most basic, kind of practical first step to this. I think this is just a good starting place if this isn't on your radar or hasn't been or you're struggling with, I don't even know, Right? I've been struggling with the other five things TJ told me now. You're saying everything, every thought, every, how do I start? Here's what I think is a possible good place. An invitation. Just invite him. This looks like, like a prayer. Like God, you don't have to say these words, but God, I want to invite you to speak in my life more. I don't come to you for anything. I don't come to you enough. I don't think about you at all, or I don't think about you enough. Would you help me figure out what that looks like? Would you forgive me for when I fail? It's a decent starting place. Put on there and start to seek God. God, what does this look like for me? Where do you want to speak into? You say like every. Your word says everything. You want to speak into everything. I should bring all things to you. So what what does that look like for me? Spirit, would you help me desire that? Would you help convict me and remind me? Those Those are easy conversations that we can have with God because he will do it. That's what's crazy about all this, right? Even as I preach this, it's really hard in my heart to say these things because I struggle with it. It seems crazy to me how easily I forget and that God is always faithful. He will. If you allow him, 
if you allow him, you'll begin to feel him speaking into your life. You'll begin to feel him guiding you in those daily mundane decisions. You'll feel centered around him and, and you'll feel his comfort and his security in some of those big life decisions. So I kind of want to end today sort of where we started. I want to tell you that we're all going to mess this up. We're all going to fail. And in those moments, what's going to happen or what should happen or what I'm asking you to do is preach the gospel to yourself, right? Preach the gospel to your brothers and your sisters as they're sharing their struggles with you. And we're going to rest. We still rest secured in his grace, right? We still have the promise. We still get the land. Take heart in that. Take hope in that. Be encouraged by that. Tim Keller says, we are saved by faith, not by growing fruit, thank God. But we are not saved by fruitless faith. Right? So grace is great. And it's our only hope. We need to cling to it. But grace does not erase the need for us to put effort into our growth, right? The love that we are called to is a love of action. And vital Christianity that we're talking about is devoted. It's devoted Christianity. It means loving God with everything that we have. 